This is the GGC Life Podcast. What a great house. Listen, here's what I can tell you. I, I, I walked in yesterday. It was my first time here uh, at Glorious Gospel Church. And I said, man, there's something unique about this house. And then being in service with you guys yesterday and again this morning, there's such a life, there's such a vitality in the house. And boy, that speaks volumes to me. And I see generational representation and multicultural representation. And I think, man, this is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. Good job, guys. Good job. Special honor to you guys. Man, thank you. Thank you for letting me come and and, and be a part of what you're doing here. But man, I just really honor you folks for what you're doing because obviously it all, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. It flows from the top down. So your heart is really, really represented just by all the folks. So it's pretty awesome. Anyway, good job guys. Yay. <laughs> Amen. Listen, um, I want to, I want to share with you guys today. Uh, if you look behind me, I think it says empowered. Yeah. I love your screen, man. I, I want to take it home. I can't get it on the plane, uh, <laughs> but, but, but the word empowered means something to me. How many understand this man? It's the heart of the father not to get people to church. It's the heart of the father to get the church to the people. And that's, that's the Father's heart. That we would understand it's an as-you-go ministry. Jesus didn't say, as they come, preach the gospel. He said, as you go, preach the gospel. As you go, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead. And we realize that, man, there's something about being empowered. Here's what I want to tell you. Everything that you need to live and walk in victory has already been provided by the blood of the Lamb. Who believes that? Everything that you need to live and walk in victory has already been paid for. It's not even like you've got to strive to get it. As a matter of fact, you can't do something to earn it. It's never about what you do. It's always about what he did. So it's not about me doing to become. I became. And so because I became, now I actually do just out of the art of becoming. Does everybody understand that? When you begin to understand your identity and who you are in Christ. And I think that's a pretty big reality. So um, I'm, I'm going to stick to things if I can because uh, I'm in faith that I can do this in 45 minutes. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm kind of in faith for that. But anyway. <laughs> but I want to take you somewhere if I can. I want to take you through an Old Testament, an Old Testament story and bring it into a New Covenant reality. Is that okay? And it'll be an Old Testament story that you're all familiar with, but maybe you'll see it in a different way when we're done. So go with me to 1 Samuel 17. And all my Bible students that are in here went, 1 Samuel 17, that's David and Goliath. Good job. Because it is David and Goliath. But I'm going to look at it through a different lens. Can I help us with something that I think is really, really important this morning? One of the things that God's helped me with over the years is helping people see through a different lens. Why? I'll never change the way you think unless I can change the way you see. But if I change the way you see, it'll change the way you think. And if you change the way you think, you're going to change the way you respond to life. But the only way we'll respond differently is if we see differently. So we have to see differently to think differently so we can respond differently. How many know that we need to respond differently to life than the unsaved world? If you respond to life the same way your unsaved friends do, then why would they want what you have? But if a crisis comes up with you and your friend and your friend's not saved and you're saved and they're freaking out and you're calm, they'll be like, what makes you so calm? If they're all messed up and full of anxiety, but you're at peace because you trust Jesus, then all of a sudden they're like, how can you be so calm? I've had people ask me a lot of times, how can you stay so happy? I said, it's not my fault. (laughs) I just live there. Why? Because I actually believe the gospel. (laughs) It's a good book. Anyway, go to 1 Samuel 17 because I could spend a lot of time sci-fogging and I don't want to. 
First Samuel 17, let's, let's kind of we'll pick it up about verse 3, if that's okay. you got the Philistines and the, uh, and the Israelites, and they're about to go to battle. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side. Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. There's a valley between them. Everybody got the picture? You guys get the visual, right? Okay, right? And the champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. I'm reading from the New King James for anybody that might want to know. So let me help you with this. Goliath is the name of the giant. Gath is just the name of the city, okay? Gath is one of the capital cities. Uh, uh, the Philistines had 10 capital cities. If you've ever heard the word Decapolis, like one of the regions in Israel today is called Decapolis, it's actually taken from Decapolis, which is 10 capitals. Deca is 10, Capolis is capitals. Decapolis was where the 10 capital cities of the Philistines were. Is everybody okay? So Gath is simply a city, okay? So his name's Goliath, and he's from Gath. Everybody got that? Okay, now how tall is he? Six cubits in a span. You have to understand a cubit in, 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 our, in our English standard. We call, we call what we do standard, but we're the only people that do it. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's about 18 inches. So the guy's about three meters tall. Everybody got that? So we're talking nine foot, nine inches in, in our English, our, our American standard. And, and I don't know if you understand that or not, but a basketball hoop's 10 feet. So you know what I mean? So, I mean, this guy can slam dunk on his tiptoes with no problem. You know what I'm talking It's just like no problem. So in the midst of that, this is like a big old dude. Everybody got it? But he's six cubits in a span, and that six becomes important. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. Uh, Male is overlapping bronze plates, right? And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. So that's about 57 kilograms for you guys. Okay, everybody got that? He had a bronze armor on his legs, right? And a bronze javelin between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, right? That's about 15 pounds or 7 kilograms. And a shield bearer went before him. Everybody got it? Now, here's what's interesting. You got Goliath of Gath. Okay, if we really looked at Goliath, if we read in, in what we're reading from the New King James, he's six cubits tall, he's got six pieces of armor, and his, his spearhead weighed six shekels of iron. Sounds to me like 666. Is there a representation there of anything? You have to understand that Goliath represents everything that hell can throw against the children of God. He's going to come against them with intimidation. He's going to come against them with threatenings. He's going to come against them telling them they're nothing and, they get, and, and defying their identity of who they really are. And it's exactly what hell still does to us today. So Goliath is actually representing hell in this picture. Everybody got it? Now keep reading. Watch what happens. Okay. He stood before them and he cried out to the armies of Israel and he said to them, why have you come out to line up for the battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you'll be our servants and you'll serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. Now watch, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Everybody got it? Okay, so what's Goliath doing? He's saying, listen, man, I dare you. It's almost, I double dog dare you. Send me a man that we're going to be able to fight together. If I beat your guy, you'll be our servants. If he beats me, then you'll be our servants. And I, I defy you, choose you, man, that we might come and fight together and see who wins. Everybody got that? So the picture's been painted, okay? Now, you have to understand, David at this point uh, has been playing music for Saul in the palace. Does everybody know that? Right? Because Saul was troubled by an evil spirit. When David played, right, the evil spirit left him. Isn't it great when you trouble the thing that troubles the king? 
Oh, there's a whole sermon right there, but I got to leave that alone. I want us to understand in the midst of that, but David's not there all the time. As a matter of fact, sometimes he would go home. Jesse, his father, is now up in years. But what you need to understand is this. David has already had a visitation from Samuel. At this point, Samuel has already come to Jesse's house, right? Can we talk for just a minute? Because I feel prophetic right now. When, when, when Samuel showed up at Jesse's house, he said, I came to anoint a king. And Jesse brought all the boys in. And you know what he did? He brought Eliab and then Shammah and Abinadab. And they all came through from the oldest down to the youngest. All of them came through. And Samuel's like, listen, I know God and there's no king here, but he sent me here to get a king. He said, you brought seven of your sons. Don't you have any more? And all of a sudden, Jesse's like, well, I got one more boy, but he's out taking care of the sheep. He's the little fella. And he says, you get him because we're not sitting down till dinner till he comes in. When David came in, can I talk to somebody in the church today? When David came in, uh, can I say this? He was number eight. Uh, I don't know if you understand, but biblically number eight is the number of new beginnings. Uh, And I feel like there was an anointing on David for a new beginning for Israel. And I felt like in the house today, there's an anointing for fresh starts and new beginnings. Uh, And God is saying, this is your day where you stand up and say, I'm becoming everything that God created me to be. I'm going to become everything that he wants for me. This is my day. I'm marking a line. I'm not looking back, turning back, or thinking any other way. Sometimes you got to make up your mind to make up your mind and determine in your heart, man, I'm done playing the games. It's got to be more than just going to church, singing the songs. I'm going to walk this thing out with sincerity and truth. David got anointed on that day to be king. But can I tell you something? He had the anointing. You know where he went? Back to the fields. He was still in training. Just because you got the anointing doesn't mean you're ready for the appointing. Sometimes the anointing comes, the appointing will come later. You just got to walk out the anointing. Because there's training in the anointing. Oh, let's read. Let's read. Okay. So David comes back home. He's with dad. Right? Here's what I want you to see. Three of the boys go into the army. David's back home taking care of some sheep with dad. Uh, Verse 16, the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. What's that tell you? That tells me that when David first sees the Goliath, that's the first time for him, but most of that army's seen him 80 times. 40 times in the morning, 40 times in the evening. This isn't like the first time that he's going to show up. He's been presenting himself. And what's he saying? Choose you a man that we might come and fight together. I double dog dare you. What's he doing? Intimidating, trying to wear him down. What does hell try to do to you? Intimidate you and try to wear you down. The devil will try to tell you what you're not while God is trying to tell you who you are. And you need to decide what voice you're going to listen to, whether you're going to listen to the voice of the enemy that's going to try to beat you down and tear you up, or you're going to try to listen to the voice of God who created you and said, this is what I call you. So now what we find is, this thing's going down. It's going to get game on here in a minute. Jesse said to his son, David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. Carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. This is probably something that just hit me maybe a year and a half ago. So I never saw it before. Most of you that are in this house, if you grew up in church at all, you know the story of David and Goliath. And David takes out that giant at the end of the story. But I want you to see something that just happened. 
Goliath represents hell and everything that hell could throw at the children of God. How does David end up on the battlefield? The father sent the son to take out the thing that was troubling Israel. If you don't see a prophetic picture, <laughs> the father sent the son that was troubling the children of God. <laughs> the father sent the son to destroy the intimidator against the early church. Can I talk to somebody today and tell you there's a prophetic picture right here where the father sent the son. Why? To take out the thing that was troubling you. Why? So you could live and walk in victory and not have to be in fear and intimidation any longer. Keep reading. Watch what happens. Saul and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Eah fighting with the Philistine. So David rises up early. He gets there. I, I'm not going to read it all. David leaves his supplies in the hand of the keeper, right? Everybody see it? Drop down to 23. David left his hand, supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, camp, and came and greeted his brethren. And as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words, and David heard them. What's it mean? Choose you a man that we might fight together. I defy the armies of Israel, right? We know those words, right? And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. The dude's nine foot nine. I'd be dreadfully afraid too. He's three meters tall. He's like half again as big as me any day. Yeah, nobody's going to want to fight this guy. And they're afraid and they run, right? So watch what happens. This gets powerful, right? It's the first time David heard them. Right? And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Everybody understand what he just said? He said, The guy that beats this giant would be enriched with great riches. You get to marry the king's daughter, and your father's house would be free from tax in Israel. I don't know about you. I would do it for the tax. But anyway, it's not a bad day. In the midst of that, David hears this. And something begins to happen inside of David. And a light starts to come on. How do you know that, Pastor? Read the next verse, right? And David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Everybody see it? What will be done? What's why? Because when he heard it, something went off inside of him. Remember that a few moments ago I told you that David had already been anointed by Saul, right? I'm sorry, by Samuel, by Samuel, not by Saul. Saul doesn't like David at one point later on. He still likes him right now, but later on it's not going to go well. But at this point, it's Samuel. Samuel had come, poured the horn of oil over David's head and anointed him to be king in Israel, right? Now here's the reality. I need to understand history. You need to understand culture. David is a shepherd. On the cultural totem pole in Israel, he is at the lowest part of the totem pole. Shepherds are the lower caste of society. Everybody got that? So at this point, how do you become king in Israel? Well, there's only two different ways you get to become king in the succession. One would be that you have a military overthrow, a military coup, and you overthrow the sitting king, right? But how many know David's not a military guy and he doesn't have influence? He's not able to have a military group get together and they're not going to overthrow King Saul. It's just not going to happen. The only other way to be that would be that you would have to be in, in, in the king's lineage, but he's not in the king's lineage. He's in Jesse's lineage. He's in the lineage of shepherds, not in the lineage of kings. And now a, a, a word goes out. What did the word say? Whoever can kill this giant, you'd be enriched with great riches. And what? Marry the... Wait a minute. Marry the king's daughter. Because if I marry the king's daughter, now I'm in the king's lineage. 
Do you understand that David had a prophetic promise? And that the motivation of killing Goliath came because he's doing warfare with a prophetic promise that's been spoken over his life. Paul tells Timothy, war a good warfare by the prophecies that have been spoken over you. David was actually acting on that long before Paul ever said it. Why? Because there's a prophecy that's been spoken and Samuel's already anointed you and the anointing on your life and the prophecy spoken over you sets you up for victory even when it doesn't look like victory. Somebody needs to get excited about the words that have been spoken over you and the promises that you've already had and realize, listen, God might be up to something more than I ever dreamed of. He thought he's delivered and bread and cheese. He's got some tomato sauce going to make a pizza. It's going to be awesome. But in the midst of that, here's the reality, man. He wasn't being set up to delivery, boy. He was being set up to become the king of Israel. You'll be enriched with great riches. Marry the king's daughter. Father's house. Be free from tax. And something's going off inside of David. Look what he says. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? Why does he say that? Because circumcision was a sign of covenant. And David said, wait a minute. He's a giant with no covenant. A shepherd with a covenant is bigger than a giant without one. I got a covenant with the king of kings. I got a covenant with the Lord of lords. David began to understand, wait a minute, we're a covenant people. Why are we afraid of somebody who doesn't even have one? Come on. Sometimes you've got to understand you're in a better covenant than David was. Your covenant means something. You're in a covenant with the God of heaven. You're in a covenant with the King of glory. You're in a covenant with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're in a covenant with the Prince of peace. You're in covenant with joy himself. We cannot be defeated. I don't care how bad or how ugly or how stupid life gets. You're in a covenant with God. You win. Mm. So David understands covenant. Who is this uncircumcised Philistines that he would defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him again in the same manner. So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Heard it the second time. Enriched with great riches, married a king's daughter, father's house be free from tax. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David and said, why'd you come down here? And who'd you leave them few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. You just come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? <laughs> like Eliab is his oldest brother. And he comes, what are you doing down here, punk? Come on, you know that. Like go home and take care of your few measly sheep, boy. What are you doing out here? Something's happening inside of David and there's an anointing rising up inside of him. And he knows what God's called him to. He knows that he's been anointed to be king. And you know what? Sometimes when you start to step into your anointing, the people around you may not understand you. Never, not everybody's going to understand the call on your life. That's okay. It wasn't a conference call. <laughs> wasn't for them anyway. This is about you and Jesus. And you know what was happening? David was stepping into that anointing. He was stepping into that place. And all of a sudden now his family come. How many of you know sometimes family is the toughest ones to navigate with? But in the midst of all that, as he's going through that, like Eliab's like, ah, blah, 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 blah. and he's just about, and David totally blew him off. 
right? Is there not a cause? Look at the next verse. He turns to the people next to him, right? Well, I love it. Watch, because he kind of totally blew him off. And he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And the people answered him as the first ones did. He said, what was that reward? Will you be enriched with great riches, marry the king's daughter, your father's house, be free from tax? He said, I'm in. <laughs> cool. Three times he got a vision of the reward. Sometimes the thing that might have to motivate you in the battle is you got a vision of the reward that's in front of you. Sometimes you got to be motivated by a vision of a future that you can see that nobody else can see. David already understood there's something more to this for me. Now watch, watch what happens because I love this stuff. Watch what happens. David said to Saul, right, I drop down to about about verse 32. Let no man's heart fail because your servant will go and fight against this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You're just a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Can we talk, church? Listen, I told you that David had the anointing, but he wasn't ready for the appointment yet. Why? Had some training ground. Can I talk to you right now and tell you, before you go chasing some giants, maybe you ought to kill some lions and some bears. I think that sometimes David was simply in training ground. And when the lion came, he passed that test. When the bear came, he passed that test and God said I think you're ready boy and he got it ready on the battlefield and now he's positioned him how many know God will position you when you're not looking for it some of the greatest blessings in my life came as a catalyst from some of the greatest challenges I had to walk through because if I didn't walk through the challenge I wouldn't have stepped into the blessing some of the things that I felt were the darkest moments in my life were actually the catalyst to the greatest blessings David is now positioned. And he knows this isn't in my own strength. The Lord who delivered, this, the, delivered me from the paw of the lion and the, or the mouth of the lion and the paw of the bear, he's going to deliver this. And he calls him again, by the way, the second time, uncircumcised Philistine. Why? Because he understands covenant. So Saul takes his armor. And he says, if you're going to go fight him, you're going to have to have the best armor. I got the best armor. Put this armor on. How many know? Saul's armor was custom fit for Saul. Do you know why Saul got picked to be king? Do you guys know this? If you study back in the history of Israel, why did Saul get picked? Because the Bible says he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else, head and shoulders above all the others. How many know that wasn't a dandruff commercial? (laughs) That was, he was a big guy. So if the armor that Saul has is the best armor, but it's custom fit for him, and David's about a 17-year-old boy, it ain't going to fit him very well. And I thought about that, and David had to get rid of the Saul's armor. Why? Because you can't walk in another man's anointing. Your anointing is fit for you, and you can't walk in another man's anointing. I, I so I, listen. I so want to be Leon, because <laughs> he's awesome, man. He's just messing with. Me. I'm like that dude can just uh, and and it, you know what it is? It's you can see it all over him, but it's the passion that comes from him. And that passion gets contagious. And pretty soon everybody's like, ah, 
and it's awesome. I love it. I, I live for that stuff. I, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to passion. I think God's attracted to passion. I'm like, oh man, I wish I could be, you know, because we all want something else that we don't, you know what I mean? And we just got to learn to flow in our gifting and flow in our, and this is what God gave me to do. And I'll just do what God gave me to do. And I'll celebrate the people around me that can do what I can't do. David couldn't walk in Saul's armor and you can't walk in somebody else's anointing. We've had some pretty amazing people come out of our house. We would all pray for each other. Todd used to lay his hand on my head and pray for dreads. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I don't want dreads. I just want hair. Come on. Okay, anything. Nothing. I'm like, you're, you're prayerless. You're powerful. <laughs> okay. So, I can't be Todd. Todd can't be me. I can't be Dan. Todd can't be Dan. We're all different. You know what I'm saying? Every one of us is called to be uniquely you. Here's the reality, man. You can't wear another man's armor. You can't walk in another man's anointing. You're called to be you. Be the best version of you you can. That matters. So he says, I can't walk with these. I haven't tested them. I want you to go down to verse 40. This is where I'm trying to get to. He took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch, which he had. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. David goes down to the brook in the valley of Elah. When he goes down to the brook, he grabbed out five smooth stones. Isn't that awesome? He takes five stones and he puts them in his bag. Now, do you ever wonder why David takes five stones? Is he afraid he might miss? Is he afraid like it's going to take a few to take this big guy down? He grabbed five stones. I don't know if you know this or not, but here's what I believe. Because you can go over and it's, it's, in, it's in 2 Samuel 21. Goliath actually has four brothers. <laughs> and I figured that he's got Goliath on the field in front of him. And I got a stone for Goliath and you got four brothers. If they're hiding behind that mountain, I got a rock in my pocket for each one of you. Come on. <laughs> Bring it, boys, because I'm ready. And he's swinging that old boy. I'm telling you, I believe, honestly, I believe it's the only reason he got five. Because Goliath got four brothers. And when they show up, I'll take out every one of you. Because the same God that can deliver Goliath can deliver his brothers and can deliver his family. I'm here to tell you the God that brought you through before is the God who can bring you through again. You just got to believe God in the midst of it. So I don't know about you, but I'm ready to believe God for some amazing things today. In the midst of that, every word in your Bible is there for a reason and a purpose. It means something. So I challenge you, man, when you read your Bible, when you read something that maybe you didn't understand, here's what it said. It didn't just say five stones. It said five smooth stones. And I thought about, why does it even say smooth? And I thought, well, the rocks had to be smooth so they would fly aerodynamically correct. They had to fly. Nobody gets in an airplane that has 13 wings sticking out all over the place. You just wouldn't do that. Why? Because it wouldn't look right. And that thing would just go like that and it'd be a mess. Am I right? So there's something about you and I understanding that, you know what? Those five smooth stones, smooth meant something. They had to be smooth so they could fly aerodynamically correct to be able to perform what they were called to perform. And I thought about that. What made them smooth? They were in the brook. They've been in a brook for a season, for a while. What happened? How'd they get smooth? Pressure. 
the water pressure kept going over them. And the pressure of the water was smoothing off all the rough edges. Smoothing off all the rough edges. Can we talk, church? Sometimes when you're going through pressure in your life and you're saying, get me out of this pressure, I believe the pressure is just smoothing off the rough edges. Why? So you can be ready when your time comes. So you can be ready when it's your season. You've got to be going through pressure right now in this season, but I want you to know God is perfecting some things in your life. You might be going through a challenging time right now. You might be going through a pressuring time right now, but I'm telling you, what's happening. God is perfecting something in you because when it's your day on the battlefield, you're going to be ready. But if you slip out of the pressure too soon, you're not going to be ready for the battle. you got to stay in that pressure. I used to pray when I was going through the tough place. God, get me out of this tough place. God, get me out of this tough place. Now my prayer shifted. I'm a little older, a little wiser. I'm like, God, teach me what I got to learn while I'm in this rough place so that I don't have to come back and revisit it later. Woo! Glory to God. How many of you know, if we, if we don't learn the lesson, we're going to have to repeat it? How do you know that, Pastor? Sixth grade was the best three years of my life. We got to learn and grow. Five smooth stones. Puts them in his pouch. So here's the deal. I'm going to watch my time. David puts those things in his pouch, and he starts to go toward the giant. Isn't it amazing the giant ran toward David? Everybody else ran away. David ran toward him. Don't run from your giants. Don't let the giants intimidate you. Can I say this? Hell ought to get nervous when you walk in the room. You walk. Can I tell you a little story? I'll give you a little story real quick. I used to live in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I was running the drywall business there and uh, pastoring a small church. And I I never never seen this before, but I, I would drive by on one of the main, main places in Allentown, and it said, Occult Bookstore. And I thought, hmm, Occult Bookstore. And I'd drive by it, and I, I got intrigued. And I thought, I'm going in there. I wanna, I'd never been in an occult bookstore. I thought, I'm going to go in this occult bookstore. So I walked into this occult bookstore. I parked my van out in front and walked, walked around. I came in, and I, I, I walked in. And this guy's standing behind the desk, and he got black fingernails, and they're real long. He's a guy with black fingernails, real long, had black eyeshadow around his eyes, and, and real long hair. And he looked at me and said, can I help you? I said, nope, just looking around. <laughs> and, and he just was staring daggers at me. And I saw all these books, and, da- and there was uh, knives like daggers, and there was incense that was in there and all this stuff. And I'm just walking around, and I thought, and, and he said a couple more things. And I said, no, I'm good, man. Really, I'm just really good. I'm just, I'm just seeing what was in here. And I thought, you're trying to intimidate me, but you know what? You're intimidated because I just walked in this place. Because why? Everywhere you go, you bring the kingdom. You're a representative of the kingdom of God. Never let hell intimidate you. You should intimidate hell. You walk into a room, demons ought to be stink easier. <laughs> you walk into a room, you ladies walk into a room, and the demons, oh my gosh, I didn't even know she was awake today. <laughs> and there's something about you and I being because of what you carry. David is not intimidated by the giant. He's running at the giant. I think if I can understand this right, when Jesus said this about the church, he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. You know what I mean? What does that say? That means the church shouldn't be on the defensive worrying about what hell's going to do. The church ought to be on the offensive and hell ought to be worrying about what the church is going to do. I I believe that with all my heart. Jesus never took his lead from what the devil was doing. He said, I'm only doing what I see my father do. There's something about you and I understanding. We should take our lead from heaven and never take our lead from hell. We are not a defensive posture. Teach us what that means. David gets running. 
The devil's saying, I'm going to chew you up and spit you out. And David's like, I don't think so, dude. It's not your day. Look at verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David. David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Yay, God. That's your shirt. Yay, God. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, struck the Philistine, killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran, stood over the Philistine, took out the Goliath sword. He took out the Philistine's sword, and he drew it out of his seat, and he killed him, and he cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Yay, God. Can somebody say yay, God? (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Yay, God. That's pretty awesome. So now the Philistine's dead. David took his head off. Now what's the rest of the story? Well, let's read down to about verse 54. David took the head of the Philistine and he brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. That's all we got about Goliath. David took the head of the Philistine and he brought it to Jerusalem. Well, that seems ugly. So what's that all about? Right? Got to understand culture. Got to understand history. So let's go back to biblical times. Two kings go to battle. If this king prevails over that king at the end of the battle, they cut off the the opposing king's head. They put it on a pole. They will actually put it on a pole, on a stick, if you would, and they lift it high in the air, and they actually have a parade back into their major town, into their city. What's it saying? When the people see that the head of the enemy is on that stick, they come running out, and everybody is celebrating together, and they kind of have a parade, and they cheer, and they shout, and they throw babies in the air and confetti. It's really awesome. And, and, they, and they celebrate. What are they celebrating? The Lord has delivered our enemy into our hand. When David, put that, when David took Goliath's head off, he's going to put it on a stick. He's going to bring it back in Jerusalem. How many know if you're nine foot, nine inches tall, you've got a big old head? I mean, that's just a big old head. I don't care because it's going to be proportionate. That's a big old head on a stick. That's a big old head on a stick. Everybody, everybody's going to know, man, we won. We won. This awesome. And they're celebrating and it's cheering and it's awesome. And then what? After they have this celebration, let's go back to culture. Because to understand culture matters right now. The head of Goliath is a dead thing, and a dead thing is an unclean thing. So in, in the culture of the Middle East, what they have is 24 hours to get that thing in the ground. Remember that Lazarus died, and they didn't wait for a funeral for Jesus. Why? 24 hours to get him in the grave. Everybody understand? Right. Jesus wasn't very good at funerals. He messed a bunch of them up. But in the midst of that, they're going to have to bury Goliath's head. they got 24 hours to get that thing in the ground. Can they bury it inside the city? Remember that Jerusalem would have been a walled city. Inside the city has to be clean. So you've got to take it outside the city and bury it. Everybody got that? It's important that you understand that. Remember, this is Goliath, okay? Why do you say that's important? I need you to go to John 19. In John chapter 19, Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. They brought him in for mock trials. They've got all kinds of things that are going on against him. They've got a bunch of ugly stuff that's happening. Lots of lies going out against him. What happens? Mrs. Pilate shows up on the scene. Who remembers the story? Pilate's wife. She comes to Pilate. She says, hey, Pontius, don't have nothing to do with the blood of this just man. I've been troubled by a lot of dreams about him tonight. You need to get, you need to, you, you need to get him free. So Pilate's got a plan. What's he got a plan? He's going, I'm going to go into prison. I'm going to get the worst guy I can find. I'm going to bring him out. When I bring him out, they'll want to release Jesus and they'll want to get rid of him because he's a really bad dude. So he goes down in the worst part of the prison. He gets the worst prisoner he can find. It's a guy that starts riots and has committed murder. Who remembers his name? 
Barabbas. Yeah, that's right, Barabbas. That's it, Barabbas. You know why I said that? It's important that you understand in biblical times, names were very, very important. Names are extremely important in biblical days. So we need to understand something. Barabbas means something. Here's the deal. Remember Simon, Simon, Barjona. What's that mean? Simon, son of John. Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was the son of Timaeus or son of Timothy. Everybody got that? Why? The prefix B-A-R always meant son of. Bar-Abbas. Abbas is a derivative of Abba. He is the son of the father who's guilty and sentenced to die. But the father's only begotten son, who's completely innocent, stands up and takes the punishment so the sons of the father could go free. Barabbas was a prototype of every one of us. Sons of the father, guilty and sentenced to death. And the father's only begotten son took our place so that we could be. Do you understand that? So they're going to take Jesus, and, and, and he says, what do you want? So, so they said, free Barabbas, and Barabbas gets free, and what do they say, do with Jesus? Take Jesus and what? Crucify him. John chapter 19, verse 16. So they delivered him to be crucified, and they took Jesus, and they led him away. Look at the next verse. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. Where was Goliath from? Gath, Gal, Gatha, the place of a skull. I believe that they buried Goliath's head there, and that gives it its name, Golgatha, right? Which was the place of the skull. Why? Because a thousand years before, Goliath, who represented hell and threw everything against the children of God, was defeated by David. But now, the son of David, Jesus' favorite term, is going to come, and he's going to shed his blood. Come on, church. He's going to shed his blood over that very thing. And what's he saying? Everything that hell throws against you, everything that hell comes against you with, everything that you need to live and walk in victory, everything you need to live in power has been accomplished through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has made a way for you to live and walk in victory. You do not need to live up and down, up and down, up and down. Why? Because Golgotha has been defeated and Jesus has made a way over death, over hell, and over the grave so that you and I could live and walk in victory all the days of our life. And that's the call of God on our life, to live and walk an empowered lifestyle. Listen, man, we are not children of a lesser God. We are not children who are deprived of any good thing. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and he's made a way for you to live and walk in victory. There is nothing going on in your life that you and Jesus can't accomplish together. I promise you, he's made a way. God is so good. I did it with 10 minutes left. I didn't think it was possible. Listen to me, church. I've watched God do some pretty amazing things in life. I've watched the Lord keep us in a place of victory. 43, 43 years of ministry, 40 years of pastor. Let me tell you something. You have some challenges along the way. But I've watched God be faithful every step of the journey. I promise you, I've watched God be faithful every step of the journey. My God is an awesome God. The question isn't whether or not God can. The question is whether you will allow him. And it's always been that. What are you willing to let God do in your life? It's one thing to know Jesus as your Savior. It's another thing to know him as the Lord of your entire life. I think there's a lot of people that are just trying to get saved enough to get to heaven. But you may never get heaven inside of you. That only comes through full surrender and saying, Jesus, I need you to be Lord over every area of my life. Can I say this? There's nothing hidden from God. When, 
When Leon was singing, man, I felt that anointing of the Lord, like there was just power to break addiction. And I felt like, and I'm going to say it, I felt like the addiction was pornography. And he wanted to break the power of pornography off of people's lives. Why? Because you're empowered to live without that. Why? I'm going to talk real plain, man. Alcohol is a counterfeit comforter. You got the real comforter. You don't need a counterfeit. Drugs, counterfeit comforter. Just trying to take away the pain of life for a moment. Why? When you have Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit. I promise you, man, there's power to break addiction. There's power for you to walk in victory. There's power for you to live and walk in every area of your life completely and fully surrendered. Listen to me. I'm going to say some things that I don't normally say this, but I feel like there's a liberty and I feel like I'm okay, Leo. But I feel Jesus in the room saying, listen, man, if you're having trouble at home and you're having problems with your marriage, you need to get your eyes off of your secretary. You need to get your eyes off of some other woman. And you need to say, I'm going to say this, man. You're praying for God to change her when God wants to change you. You're praying for God to change him, and it's you that need to be changed. God, change me. Even you that are single, can I say this? Quit looking for the right guy and try to become the right woman. I feel like there's something in the room right now that God's doing, and I don't know exactly what it is, but I got a pretty good thought. And I feel like it's all about you and I living in an empowered lifestyle. When we fully surrender to Jesus Christ, that's the only way we become empowered. And there's something about a place of full surrender. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to bring the band back up if that's okay. As I feel Jesus in the room right now. And this is what I can tell you. I want you to see this. If we walk back through this story, the father sent the son to destroy the very thing that was trying to intimidate the early church. If we come to the second part of that, we're going to find that Jesus comes to give you everything you need to live and walk in victory. There is nothing that you need today that God hasn't already provided through the blood of the Lamb. I'm going to say that again. There's nothing you need today that God hasn't already provided by the blood of the Lamb. Everything you need to live a victorious life has been accomplished through the blood of Jesus. He has made the way. Listen, I can't say that enough. He's made the way. Thanks for listening to the GGC Life podcast. We hope you feel encouraged. Be blessed.